Wilkinson here. Today, my guest is Nathan Serrato. And Nathan and I met, what, a couple of years ago, a little over two years ago. Um, you were an Airbnb guest, right? Yeah, I think I found you on Airbnb yeah. and stayed here for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And just taking was it picture. fabulous? Oh my God, it was amazing. Highly recommend. <laughs> Wait, no advertisements. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh-oh. Anyway, say hi to my people. Hello to Wilkinson's people. <laughs> okay, so why do you want to come on here? What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about, well... We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk... No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Before we talk about what you're going to talk about, let's hear a little of your background, then we'll get into that. Okay. So tell me a little about yourself. Where yeah. you grew up? So I grew up in Escondido, California, which is very close to San Diego, and... You know, I grew up in the Catholic and Lutheran church and have found Buddhism, yoga, and different ways of really connecting with my spirituality outside of that. And so now I do uh, coaching for the LGBTQ community and um, help them kind of go through a similar overcoming of shame that I went through. What were you ashamed of? Well, I was told to be ashamed of who I was. I was told that I was an abomination and that I wasn't worthy of of love, of God's love, of my parents' love. I was told I didn't belong. So all that really built in, onto my sense of self-worth. And it was, it was dark. It was a very dark adolescence trying to figure out who I was. That's because you were gay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. When did you come out? Uh, 17 and 21. It was so good you did it twice, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. I had to do it again. No, it was so scary that I went back in. Um, I, I got cold feet. I was like, wait, maybe I'm not gay. Maybe I have to be straight and marry a woman. Cause what if I go to hell? So I sort of recoiled and then came back again in full force with wigs. And did it occur to you that if you're gay and you married a woman, that might be hell? Um, at the time, yes. Well, that's why I didn't do it. So yes. <laughs> so you didn't get involved in it. Did you date women? I did. And actually, those relationships were still authentic. You know, I am bisexual, but for the most part, you know, 99% of the time, I'm more attracted to... That's gay. That's not bisexual. <laughs> well, if I would date a woman again, I'm bisexual. So, if And you, I would... Are you going to date a woman? I may. Yeah. Really? Do you want to? Yeah. Really? I'm open to it. Why not? Well, okay. Well, maybe you're one of my listeners. We'll see. <laughs> Put your contact info on the, on the episode notes. Okay, it sounds good. Well, if there's much of a story on coming out, I mean, give me some juice here. Come on. Something juicier. Oh, well, how I came out was yeah. really interesting. So I had a cousin at the time who was in, um, in high school with me. I was a senior and they were freshmen and they were in a queer relationship. And Was this a female or a male cousin? Um, at, at the time, they were a female in a lesbian relationship. Okay. And so I had walked out of my classroom and found them crying in the hallway. And I was like, what's going on? They're like, I was just pulled into the principal's office and told that I couldn't hold hands with my girlfriend. Otherwise, they were going to call my parents. Now, they weren't out of the closet at the time. And so the principal is starting to out them. So me being a senior and me being popular at the time, I gathered up all my friends. We made a bunch of rainbow t-shirts and we started a protest at the school the next weekend. And this is at the height of the Prop 8 in California, legalizing marriage in California. And so we were on the front of the North County Times, which was our local newspaper. 
And um, I remember walking out of my room with a rainbow headband around my head and a rainbow shirt. My dad's like, Nathan, are you gay? And didn't come out to my dad at that moment. I was like, no, I'm just supporting my cousin. Um, but I did come out to my mom shortly after that and basically came out to the entire school that I was gay. Not to my dad yet. <laughs> what happened with the principal? How did how he take that or she or he take that? But they had an emergency meeting with all the staff members. They had this big assembly talking about how that was inappropriate what we did and we need to take our problem. What you did was it? Yes, what we did was all. So there was zero accountability. It ended up not being so good for my cousin the following year because I was gone and so were all my friends. And so there was just kind of this isolation, uh, which was unfortunate, right? Um, so my cousin had to switch to um, going to their independent study program instead of in their regular program. Um, so yeah, it was it was unfortunate. There's zero accountability from the staff members. Mm, that good. You know, what made you go back in the closet after that? nightmares of going to hell to put it lightly <laughs> um was that catholic or lutheran or both it started with catholicism and when i was eight years old we switched to lutheranism so i attribute it to both did your parents ever make comments about gay people or anything yeah negatively they did, they did. um not anymore we're we're in a much better place now but back in the day they would make comments about my gay cousins and gay people on the news and say that they're idiots and all kinds of things. And mm. so, yeah, that really impacted how I thought they were going to take my coming out. So what did your mother say when you were 18 and you came out to her? Um, it was in a therapy session, a co-therapy session when I came out to her. And she was fine at the time. She was just like, oh, okay, so I, I need to be more supportive. And I was like, that would be nice. Was she responding because there's a therapist sitting there and that's why she said it that way? Maybe. I, I really genuinely think she was trying her best and still kind of grappling with her own paradigm. Um, she grew up Catholic and was born in Mexico, so completely different upbringing than I did. And so she was really trying to make an effort and it was she was confused. Um, but I, I, can't, I have to give her credit because she was reading books, she was going to the therapy sessions. Um, it just came off as a lot of microaggressions at the time. And your father didn't know at that point. He pretended he didn't know. Even though he had the headband and the shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So why'd you go back in the closet? Because I had met a girl at the time who I was interested in and we were dating. And it was a genuine attraction there. And so I thought, oh, thank God I'm attracted to a woman. I can be straight now and be normal. And so I'm just going to be straight again. How do we work out? Well, we broke up. And after that, I didn't find any other women I was attracted to. So I was dating men again. <laughs> so yeah, then I didn't come out till I was in a relationship with another man when I was 23. Mm -hmm. Let's hear the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this time he was my friend and he would come over and stay the night like five nights a week. And finally, my mom, I, I told my mom, and I was like, can you tell dad? And she was like, okay, I can tell dad, um, but why do you want him to know? I was like, because that's my life. And, you know, I, I want him to know who I am. And I feel like it'd be easier if it came from you than me. So they go on a walk. She tells him. And later that night, I get a knock on my door from my dad. And I don't know, I was watching TV. He just comes in 
and his eyes are just bright red and there's tears going down his face. And he said, Mijo, can you talk? And I said, yeah, what's going on? He said, your mom told me. And I was like, okay, yeah. He's like, I just want you to know that I, I don't care. I, I, I want you to be happy. And I was like, okay, thank you, dad. And I start bawling because my dad was acknowledging me for the first time. And, right. um, and <laughs> he made this funny comment. He's like, you know, I thought it was weird that you guys would sleep in the same room with the door closed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you think so, dad? <laughs> um, so it was, it was really sweet. And 10 years later, you know, just the other day I went on a date and he, he called me after. He's like, hey, how'd your date go? And it's, it's really sweet to see how far we've come. And I, I have to give him so much credit again because he grew up in a little town in Michoacan and he went to this nunnery school where he could get chased around by nuns with rulers. And his, he was willing to really shift his whole paradigm of religious upbringing to be so able to get that too. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, and now we just have a wonderful relationship. And so I'm very grateful for that. Are they still together? Mm -hmm. They are. Yeah. Unusual. I know. <laughs> Do you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother and three nieces. And yeah. And how'd they, how'd your brother take it? Oh my goodness. Well, my brother, he did not take it very well. I think when I told him about my is first, this the first time or the second time? This is, well, with him, I had to come out like eight times. I told him that I had a boyfriend and he said, ew. So that was the first response. Then eventually it was at his bachelor party. And I went there with him and all his friends and his friends all knew that I was gay. And, you know, I came out to one of his friends and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to talk to him. So his friends cornered him at one of the bars that we were at and was like, you need to accept your brother's lifestyle and what's going on with that. Like you need to show him that you love him. It's not a big deal. And so he came up to me. He's like, oh, so Nathan, I heard you were bi. <laughs> like... I've only told you a million times. <laughs> I've introduced you to boyfriends. Um, but since then he's been, you know, one of the biggest supporters and of me and yeah. Crazy what a decade will do. So how did all this affect you? How, first of all, how did you get out of it? So you were traumatized by all this religious stuff. So how did you claw your way out? Trying everything. Um, going to therapists, doing yoga teacher training going to the Buddhist monastery, meditating. Um, but what really did it for me was the somatic coaching work that I did and being able to rewire my nervous system. And that's what helped me to stop having nightmares because I was having nightmares into my late 20s. Uh, listeners might not know what somatic means. Why don't you explain that? So if I were to explain somatic coaching to people who haven't heard of it before is that our trauma or things that we've experienced in life are stored in our bodies. And when we have these events that impact us, they really enhance our alarm systems. So something that might not have triggered you before the incident will trigger you much more afterwards. And so because it's trapped in the body, you have to do somatic work to break through it. So that can involve movement. It can involve uh, visualization exercises, meditations, breath work. And there's a number of different modalities you can use to move through it. So how did you discover all that? Um, trying everything, <laughs> really. I just wanted to know what worked. I, I knew I didn't want to suffer anymore. I didn't want these nightmares. 
And so I was just signing up for all these different programs, hoping that it would stop, and it finally did. So that's changed stuff for you. Yeah, it really has. How? How? Because I can be in relationships with men and not wake up in the middle of the night covered in sweat and thinking that I need to end that relationship. Because you're going to hell. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I'm not afraid of death anymore, which has helped me to just be more present in life and more appreciative of it. And I have a better sense of my self-worth. And so I'm actually willing to be myself out in public now and, you know, ask for what I deserve in life. And that was not happening before. So you decided to make a career out of this? I did. How did you do that? Through the last five years, I have taken about 12 certifications in coaching, breathwork, somatic work, and trauma-informed practices so that I can do this for other people. And I just knew that the resources that I had available at the time were not supportive of what I was going through and sometimes even caused more harm. And I didn't want other people to experience that. Give me an example of something that caused harm. <laughs> Wait, my worst example was mm-hmm. when I went to a therapist and I said, I am terrified of going to hell. And she didn't know what to say. <laughs> there was awkward silence for about five minutes. And she asked, well, have you talked to your pastor about this? And I was like, yeah, he's the one that told me. <laughs> it was just... And you need healing from him, so going back to him is not going to help. No, no. and I, I, I totally didn't get it. No, and I remember that whole hour session was so uncomfortable that it made me feel even worse afterwards. I was like, I'll ever go back to her. No, never. <laughs> yeah. That's when I started doing my, my yoga practice, and then eventually from there, I found somatic work. Was she a Christian counselor? She didn't advertise herself that way, but it's possible that she was. So what have you been doing lately with all this? And so now I have my business, so I work virtually and help people to go through that process. So with the somatic work, and then I also work with a gay pastor who breaks down theological misconceptions about you know queerness and the Bible. And so between the you know cognitive understanding of theology and then the body work that's been helping people to really reduce symptoms in depression and kind of relieve this guilt and shame they have that's just seeping under the surface. Who is the pastor? His name is Brandon Robertson. He's pretty well known in the church communities and on TikTok. Um, ben Shapiro doesn't like him too much and he's featured him on this show. So, How'd you meet him? Online. Yeah, we just um, connected, sharing some similar messages and we did a webinar together And surprisingly, him being Christian and me not identifying as Christian have very similar spiritual viewpoints and practices. And together, we've been able to create a a client-led journey where they people get to decide for themselves what spirituality means to them. Have you met him in person or just all online? I met him once in person. Yeah, Uh, this was after we started working together. Uh, He was visiting San Diego, so we we did find. Where does he live? Uh, He lives in New York. So he's gay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is he married? Nope. Single? Yes. Do you want to meet him? Maybe. (laughs) Are you interested? I'll show you his picture if you want. Okay. That won't do do my listeners any good. (laughs) Anyway. Okay. So you're, you're doing that. What else do you do online? How do you, how do you do that when you're doing body work online? That seems kind of, seems like you'd be near the body if you're doing it. 
Yeah, well, you know, I, I don't have to touch them or engage with them. So it's usually just guiding them through connecting with their body and guiding them through breathwork practices and helping them use their, uh, I guess, internal representations to sense what emotions they're feeling. So when you feel an emotion, it's like, what color is it? Where is that in your body? What label do you give it? What is it trying to warn you of? And what can you learn from it so that you can move forward? Keep going. Yeah. And so then once they have that connection with all the emotions in their body, they can let it go. Because what most people do is they shove these emotions aside and pretend they don't feel anything. And that's why we have so many substance abuse problems in, in the gay community is because we want to ignore the emotions and cover it up. We want to dissociate from what's going on. But when you can be present with your emotions, feel them, acknowledge that there's hurt there, then you can get what you need from it and move forward. Are people able to track where in their body they're having that? Every time. Again. Yeah. What's with the color? What does the color mean? It's just your brain's association to what it associates. It means nothing to anyone else, but it means everything to them. So for instance, if I'm feeling a tenseness in my heart and that emotion to me, if I feel it, it is anger, I might picture the color red and it's just helping me to connect with that emotion in my body. So it's just more of a visual guide then. Get to write any books. Eventually. Maybe chat GPT will write my book for me. <laughs> the what? Chat, the AI. Was oh, that what we uh, were talking about earlier? Yeah. Before we got on here. What's the name of it? Uh, chat GPT is one of the AI tools. So you can go tell it to write you a book and you tell it what you want it to be about. And yeah. Do you give it like bullet points or what? Oh, I don't know. I haven't done it myself, but <laughs> maybe I'll figure out how to do it. Mm. It's getting to be a crazy world out there. Oh, yeah. So do you have any interesting stories with people not using any names, of course? Yeah, I do. Um, specifically clients that I've worked with yeah. have overcome this. Yeah, nothing identifying. Yeah, I can talk about one client who, you know, they basically just have lived their last 10 years in a deep depression. And they've had lots of traumatic incidences in their childhood that are just stored in, in their gut. Mm -hmm. So they have all these digestive issues, um, sexual dysfunction, and they just know that they're depressed. So they've been on antidepressants for a decade. When we started doing this work together, we were realizing where they were suppressing their voice, where they weren't asking for what they want, and they were basically just not existing. They shut themselves down completely. And all that was attributed to events that happened in their childhood. Mm -hmm. um, sexual abuse, uh, neglect from their parents. And so once we were able to do these somatic processes, not only did that feeling dissipate in their stomach, but then with doctor approval, of course, um, they were able to reduce the amount of medications that they were on for antidepressants and start using their voice more just in daily life. So it's crazy how much we actually store in our body. And once we look at it and give ourselves space to be honest with ourselves with what's going on, we can write a new story for ourselves. Okay, so when you discover some of these things, mm -hmm. so just acknowledging it, is that enough or do you have to go through some process where you rid yourself of it? No, it, it's gotta be a, a, holistic, a holistic process. So 
understanding it is step one. You understand why you're behaving the way you're behaving, why you're on guard, why you're not using your voice. Of course, if you experience a lifetime of trauma, you're going to shut yourself down. You're going to think you don't deserve to be heard. So understanding it is part one. Part two is then moving through the somatic work. So breathing through it, um, doing the uh, breathwork processes, uh, timeline therapy is another one I use. What is a therapy? Timeline therapy. What is that? So it's a visualization process that helps you to basically see how events in your timeline have impacted you now. And then you get to rewrite a new story. How do you rewrite it? Oh, well, the client rewrites it. But how do they do that? By getting learnings. So how I define those learnings is they see that event for what it was. They find an acceptance there of it happening. They stop resisting it. And then instead of saying, I'm going to be a victim of this story forever, where can I find empowerment? Where can I give responsibility back to whoever hurt me? And where can I find empowerment now in my life? So it might be, how can I you know, start speaking up more? How can I ask for those raises? How can I start putting myself out there on dates? And so it allows them to just take control of their life. So if you had a person that they're always the victim, I'm there. When they talk, they're always the victim. Mm-hmm. Well, what would you say is going on with somebody like that? I think that an acceptance that you have been a victim to something is really important. So it, it depends on where they are. Well, what I'm saying is that's their story. They're always a victim. Always a victim. Yeah. So then in that case, once they know they're a victim, they've accepted that, they felt it, then they're and hanging they're on to their, their character. Yeah. That identity of being a victim has been getting needs met that haven't gotten their needs met. So they're getting love, they're getting attention, support by telling the story that, woe is me, the world is against me, I'm a victim. And what I do with that client is help them to recognize how that identity of a victim is holding them back from what they actually want and help them find new ways of getting those same needs met. So if you're getting attention from being a victim, you're getting love and support. Where else can you get love and support without hanging on to that story that's ultimately holding you back? Because they don't. nobody likes to be a victim. Deep down, nobody likes it. Sure, it's getting your needs met, but it's not fun for right. anyone. Hmm. So what are you up to from now, from here on out? What's coming up? Oh, what's coming up? Well, now you've inspired me to write a book, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> AI? Yeah. <laughs> Just have your bullet bullet points, you know, written out, that's all. Exactly. You know, I I read this quote the other day, and it said, I have had so much fun finding God in places the church told me not to look. Hmm. It was a tweet from April Ahoy, I think is her name. And it was just so inspiring, because that's what I've been doing the last decade, is reconnecting with this spirit of the divine through meditation, through dance. and. I just want to keep doing that, keep finding God in places the church told me not to look. And I did that this last weekend at the Taylor Swift show. And I'm going to keep doing that in dance classes and conversations with you, Mm -hmm. where you feel that collective effervescence, where we're just together in our humanity. Um, To me, that's divinity. So I'm just going to stay focused on that. All right. Keeping in mind that my listeners may be in some small town somewhere. Maybe they're gay. Yeah. <laughs> so 
what are some of the things you've learned in your life? What, what would you say to that person? What, what could you pass on to them? I was asked this in closing. Yeah. The world is so much bigger than you could ever imagine. And that is great news because that means that so many of the reasons why you can't be yourself, why you're stuck, really don't matter in most of the places in the world. And so if you shift your perspective even just a little bit, you will find more freedom. Nathan, thanks for coming in today. Thank Glad you. you're in town. Yeah. We'll chat again. Thanks for being. Thank you.